All right, welcome back. Uh, this is part two of the Domain Name Show. Me and Dante here were talking about domains a couple weeks ago, and we were on Blab, and we took in some calls, and that kind of derailed us a little bit. Uh, so we decided to talk about domains again because there was a lot that didn't get covered. Uh, where we left off, we were talking about short domains, like three-layer domains, four-layer domains, three-numbered domains, four-numbered domains, short .coms, which have gone from, well, there's always the question of these digital assets about intrinsic value, whether it's Bitcoin or domain names, like what's the value? And a lot of times it's scarcity, that it's what it comes down to. And, um, you know, just in the early 2000s, they had a certain price, like in the hundreds. And now today we're talking tens of thousands. And uh, a recent development I want to talk about with you, Dante, is something you just found out about, but uh, they're calling... Three letter, three number, whatever. Very short dot coms. Simply chips now. Yeah, everyone was referring to them as chips, and I couldn't get my head around. Well, where, where did that come from? Why are you calling them that? The, but like, in, in fact, I heard that being repeated. Well, chips. I mean, they're chip names. And I'm, all right. Well, can you tell me how did What's we that? arrive at calling them chip names? And I didn't really get a good definition. Someone started to say, well. Uh, Chinese, uh, blah, 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 you know, and they kind of didn't really finish defining the acronym. It's, it's totally the Chinese dude, like in Bitcoin and all the altcoins now in domain names, it's like the Chinese are here. The prices are going to the moon. And I'm always so skeptical when I start seeing like, uh, white people, Western white people telling you like the Chinese are coming. And it's like, you don't, how do you know that you don't speak Chinese? Like, do you have Chinese contacts? But they are, they are using, they are driving a lot of the domain name prices actually. Like they love to buy the number domain because numbers can represent Chinese characters. Um, but the idea of chip, I think they mean like blue chip, like almost like a blue chip stock or something, or maybe they just mean like they're, they're fungible. They're in like, they're all have a base price. That sounds likely to me. The fact that they might be somewhat fungible and, and, the other thing is it seemed like these are names that would ordinarily not have any kind of value to us or wouldn't really have uh -huh. a good a good use case, you know, that doesn't really spell anything. I think pretty often they're going to look for names that don't have any vowels. There's one that just sold I I'm I'm guessing I'll, I'll put it in the show notes if I'm wrong but I think it was like 553.com the number 553.com did you see that sell? I didn't see it but I could imagine it was a pretty hefty price. Take, take a guess at how much it sold for. Just take a guess. 553. Um I want to say 90k. Sold for $450,000. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That is like nuts. I, I was I was going lower than I than I thought, um, but I my my initial reaction was, you know, just something over a hundred k. It's it's weird that they're do like I would for for that price I would want like a two letter dot com to be honest I'd be I'd be trying to get one of those which I think are now in the millions. It's nuts. And that that I mean for you that that you've seen the prices run up like really high over the life of your domaining like from you we started this conversation where you were domaining in 1994 and now it's 2016 and for these very short names the prices are getting do you think it's a bubble do you think or do you think it's a new normal? Well, here's the thing I I, I hate to say what's what's the new normal because this thing has always gone in waves. I've always you know I've seen. The, 
I've seen things happen where, you know, you, you think it's going to go on forever and the prices are just going to continue to go up and then they go off a cliff and mm-hmm. some people panic and then you have others. Uh, a lot of people will just kind of, you know, hold on and you'll see things come back and come back stronger. It's really very much like the prices of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I actually saw an article recently, someone post, I'll put it in the show notes. I didn't read it entirely, but that, but the title of the blog post was, Are Domain Names the New Bitcoin? Yeah, I, I think um, that's how they're... The old new Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's how they're being treated in, in China. But I'm, I'm hearing people talking about how the fact that it is now starting, starting to correct and it's mm-hmm. tightening up. So... Maybe, you know, maybe there was a glut. Maybe, you know, they were a little bit exuberant. But I think, he, I, think I, I think it'll still come back anyway. I think there was actually some uh, some new regulation placed in China that they're still trying to uh, to uh, sidestep. And once the Chinese figure out how to sidestep the new laws, that'll probably continue. It just seems like there's a like when I think maybe we should maybe this isn't a for this domain show but i really want to know more about like capital flight in china it seems to be the thing that's driving a lot of like digital asset uh markets right now is simply capital flight from china and i wonder like i just want to know more about that you know have you uh looked at a your website called fiatleak.com is that where it shows um where people are buying bitcoin from real time exactly it's very interesting. You see the you see the capital flight from China. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so as far as the 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 short domains, uh, it's kind of hard to say where that's going to go. Uh, right now, it looks like those sort of names they're eh, probably four letters. You know that wouldn't be very useful for anything here. Uh, they're probably going for about fifteen hundred dollars. I mean that's that that seems to be the consensus. So those are the those are the chip names. In other words, they probably don't have much use for any other reason other than what they're doing with them. I'm I'm not really familiar. Well, they're a little different than other because of the the sort of uh, liquidity there right now. They're a lot different than other domains. Say like you owned like um I don't know, blueharbor.com, okay? That's sort of like a brandable name that might have one buyer and the price is going to be negotiated like kind of like as much as you can get from that one buyer depending on how much they want it. <laughs> and you might have to wait like five, ten years to get that. Right? And, and, and then that negotiation will go on until someone says uncle. And then with these more short names, if you had like a portfolio of like 50 to 100 of them, you could probably do the math out and pretty much have a pretty accurate uh valuation of their current price and that comes down to the chip too thing because like they're stacking them right <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 actually you're right um it's 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 more likely that they want to buy a stack of those chips you know a portfolio of, of them rather than a couple here and a couple there it just it, it's not it's probably not worth it you know mm-hmm. to to a lot of the a lot of the brokers that that are specializing in those you know, I mean, I've gotten tons of contacts from, you know, Chinese uh, buyers, but it's a, you know, it's a whole different culture, you know, and I think you really need to be somewhat familiar or you have to have those 
uh, relationships. I have some relationships with a few people that I've you know met many times at conferences, but we've not done any business together on the chip names because I, I frankly had, um, I'd rather get I've more. Had, yeah, I've had uh, domain not domain deals, but I had like I was selling a website once and it fell through. The buyer was Chinese. And it just fell through, like, at the last minute, like, signed sales agreements, basically. And it fell through. And the broker was telling me, he's like, dude, that's just, like, that was weird that what happened that just there. But it just comes down to, like, the culture of, like, Chinese businessmen is different than you'd think. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, you think. Yeah, I expect that to be true. So, like, I have 200, 250 domains. Most of them aren't, like, something I would sell. A lot of it comes down to, like, more than half of that's just stuff I've bought up, like, for development purposes or like stuff that's only interesting really to me but even still i get like maybe five to ten inquiries like a year on that on that name on that set of names so i mean that's like five percent of my inventory apparently would get a good offers now and then like what kind of numbers do you, do you does that jive with your numbers it's funny because it's it, it's it's always the usual suspects so there are certain names that will just generate a ridiculous number of inquiries and and I don't know if that's always, you know, a, the greatest indicator in the world because uh, it, you, you're not separating the quality inquiries from the absolute tire kickers. You know, some folks will see a name that is a no-brainer name. They know it would be great for a project, and they may not be the right buyer. They may not have the right dream for what they want to, you know, use that for. You know, what, what is their project? Do they have any faith in their project? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they might have an, uh, what they think is an interesting idea, but are they really ready, willing, and able to go ahead and put into it what it requires for that thing to become successful? Generally, they're not. But on the, uh, on the flip side of that, there are, are, there are certain names that you could never ever get an inquiry on and you think you never will and you could even say to yourself well you know let me just turn around and uh, you know let me get get rid of this and let me let me send it to dan and you might not be willing to do much with it and then all of a sudden that right buyer comes along they offer 10 times the amount that dan probably not even be willing to pay for you know and now the game begins uh, you know you have to you you have to see who you know who who wants it more this is why people hate domainers because it's just like oh you want my name make me a good offer right <laughs> but that's how it is make me an offer that i can't refuse and i won't refuse it you know it's insane how they play and, and on the, on the buying side you know, they're also playing their set of games, you know, with trying to not show you who they are. Also, they'll try to have all these different proxy people getting involved. They, they make sometimes a few mistakes along the way, yeah. and they know that they've burned the bridge with you mm -hmm. because they, you know, they burned the bridge. They, they did or said something that they shouldn't. And now, if they really need the name, you know, they, it's probably going to cost them a lot more than if they had just straight up, you know, handled it a different way. 
It happens all the time where you make somebody you put you put a price to someone and they just fly off the handle and they'll say some shit to you and it's like, well, all right, bye. <laughs> it happens all the time. But generally, I I'm not I don't really have like some like high power names. Let's say like um, I will generally quote somebody between as low as five hundred dollars up to like three thousand dollars. Like something that's like in my opinion, like any small business can throw that on a credit card if they really want to. Um, and generally like if they're serious, like I'll land that deal because they were serious. Uh, but like, I don't, I usually quote people pretty reasonable numbers to be honest. Like, and right now I just, I actually just had this, I have this domain, just like you were talking about thin slicer.com. And so it's Say like, it uh, thin T H I N thin slicer. Like, uh, imagine like a, a guillotine slicer for like vegetables that cuts really thin. Yeah. So it's like, I, I think of it as like a, a product name and uh, I haven't been getting any inquiries on me and I'm on it and I'm thinking about dropping it and somebody emailed me and they were, um, I, when I looked into them, they were like somebody that does like domain name strategy for startups and stuff. Right. So I, w- I was like, I was like, look, I'm looking for, they offered me like a hundred bucks and I was like, well, I want like 800 and he's like, well, I'll give you 450 and I was like, whatever. Okay. And then he comes back to me and he's like, okay, like. I, I'm going out of town. I'll get back to you next week. And then he gets back to me next week and he's like, Dan, the price is too high. Like, thanks. Bye. So he, his strategy is to like contact 10 names, 20 names, you know, get the pricing of all those names and then pick the cheapest one or whatever, uh, which is fine. But like, I feel like $450 for a name is like fine, you know, but that's an example of like a weird interaction with somebody, uh, just another day in domaining. On the other hand, maybe he felt that, it wasn't a strong enough name because you were willing to sell it for that price. I mean, that I think there's part of that psychology that you know, will go on in the, in the mind of the buyer. I, you know, I see it all the time, and because I work with a lot of other people, and so I'm always looking at m- many different portfolios. And I see what's – and some of these things are never going to be published. You know, they're never published sales. And – so we play the game all the time with each other where we try to either knock an idea down saying, no, you're crazy. If you're going to, you know, you're trying to hold out for what price? Um, nah, take, you know, take the 15K. <laughs> you know, if you're being offered so, uh, 15 I, and you're thinking you're going to hold out for 30 and yeah. if it was a really good name, I'd say, you know, and, and, and everyone is unique. Yeah, what's 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 your situation right now? You know that with someone when it's when it's tens of thousands of dollars, it's like, look, that's a pretty strong offer. What's your situation like? Do you need tens of thousands of dollars right now? Then take it. Uh, so a lot of times it comes down to timing of like the timing and domaining is so weird. I was just thinking about Bitcoin again uh, as as it relates to this discussion because like we're talking about sort of like. Um, there's like an aftermarket of resellers and then there's like what we call end users and end users are somebody that's going to buy a domain, build a business on it and never sell it again. Right. Um, it's going to be a big part of their business. Um, but with Bitcoin, there is no really, there is no like end user versus, uh, sort of like retail because it's, because it's currency. Um, but that, that's like a differentiator in terms of like the digital asset, uh, the nature of these digital assets here. No. I guess that's the difference between a digital asset and a digital currency. Yeah, I, I, I mean, what, it's funny because when, when I think of the term digital asset, m- the first thing my mind goes to is counterparty. 
we got into that maybe after the end of our last sh- domain show. Um, so we can probably go over it again. Uh, is okay. So first of all, I'm not a fan of altcoins or you know out of consensus Bitcoin forks, and there's tons of them. There's thousands of them, and. You know, I think a lot of the people that are interested in those altcoins, they're, they're really just looking to, you know, pump and dump and, you know, flip in and out of, you know, uh, play, you know, playing those markets and trading. And some of them are even looking at the candlesticks and all that sort of jazz. And uh, so that's that, that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. What I what Counterparty does is it's a platform that allows a person to create their own asset class with a unique name. And that's one of the things that I find uh, it's a meta now. So it's a meta token protocol that rides on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. It's actually, it is Bitcoin. So there's metadata that is uh, actually part of the Bitcoin transaction and it's using uh, up multi-sig which cannot be pruned. And I, I don't know if it's, is that 100% of the op multi-sig? It depends on the, it depends on the size. Uh, if it's like under 80 kilobytes, I think maybe it will go into the op return. But if it exceeds that, it'll have to be encoded through multi-sig. Okay, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that yet. Um, yeah, let, let, let me just add to what you were saying. So basically, uh, Counterparty is a protocol on top of the Bitcoin protocol. There's a series of messages so that you can use in the protocol that anyone that that uh, participates in this protocol recognizes. So, and basically, you can create an asset is one of the is one of the messages. Create asset, and then um, you can send that asset. And so, Bitcoin's blockchain is like our data store. Right. A Bitcoin transaction, the most smallest possible amount of Bitcoin you can send, that's how we save data to the blockchain. Right. And so now our data is time sequenced in the blockchain. And what you have are federated nodes, which are like indexing servers, which read the blockchain for these special messages, and they come to consensus about the state of counterparty. So it's a separate consensus mechanism. But it's under, but it's underlied. It relies on Bitcoin for the security and the immutability, the the uh, private keys, because Bitcoin is really good at tracking who owns what, like th- through private keys, like you know. Uh, so it's it's using all the cool parts of Bitcoin and letting you issue a token. And now, when I send you a Bitcoin transaction, that Bitcoin transaction has laid over it, like maybe ten thousand Dante coins. Right, and and the thing of it is, uh, because uh, a person can can go ahead and register that asset class, and let's just you know give it a unique name. Let's call it Dan Coin, okay? And that uh, that is controlled by Dan, uh, and you can determine right up. You you can even change it later on, but you can determine how big that you know economy will ever be. You can define how many uh, how many Dan Coin tokens will ever be you can you can limit it to you can make it a, a few hundred you can make it thousands or, or millions and mm-hmm. you can also decide that you want to lock that amount so that you can't come back and, and, and create more later and, and various people might look at that and say oh well this is good I know it I know that it's locked and I have one of a hundred thousand of, of these particular tokens uh, as opposed to having, 
you change them later and then they become very diluted because you change the amount to 100 million or something. So the but some of the uses and uh, of these tokens uh, are really not we're not going to see for a very, very long time uh, most of the use cases. And so what I think is really uh, there now there are other protocols, you know, that are that are the meta uh, uh, like colored colored coins, et cetera. But uh, it's from the best of my understanding, I don't think any of the other ones are strictly unique assets. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how the other systems work, uh, but I like counterparty. Even if, even if there, there is not that differentiator, I like counterparty because there's like, it was like, uh, what were we in like year two to three? It, ex- it exists. There are companies sprouted up around it. You see the start of like an ecosystem, which is good. I think uh, the, the, there's more developers will be better, but there's, there's a community there. It's nice. But the interesting thing about me and you is we have this like background in domaining, and then we both saw Carnet Party at different times. But what's what's similar about it to the domaining is that like domains are sort of like unique and memorable names for websites or businesses online. And then with Counterparty, you have unique names, so like memorable names are going to be valuable, uh, especially because they're unique for what your digital asset is. And so the cool thing for Counterparty too, that's because it does seem like Counterparty so early that it's still very speculative. But the thing that I like about it is that as long as I control my private key, I can hold that asset name for 10, 20 years if I felt like it and incur no, no operate, no cost beyond like whatever it costs me to protect private keys. Exactly. So not the same with domains. So if you registered a domain 20 years ago, you would have been paying the annual renewal fees for that entire period of time with these counterparty assets. uh, Once they're registered and you have the private key, it's yours and you can, uh, and, and, and what, what I'm excited about also is what uh, is likely to be happening soon, which is the sub assets. So, which is a whole nother. Yeah. yeah, You're skipping to, to future stuff. When here's, here's, Another way it relates to domain names, um, so you can put certain metadata into the description of your asset, and there's this thing called enhanced asset data. Basically, you put a JSON URL, and so that that JSON URL is associated with your asset, and now off-chain, you can define extra information about your asset. And so I've used that, like, who is information. I've I've thrown in a URL to some JSON data. That JSON data says, like, this domain may be for sale. And I have a link to a portfolio of these names. I'm actually replicating sort of the who is aftermarket of domains. And it works perfectly well like that, actually. Did you, did you ever use any of the, of the features on uh, CoinDaddy, CoinDaddy.io? I've, I've made an account there, and uh, they make it very easy for people that aren't like technical like me. But for me, it was very easy to set up a web server and just create JSON files. Um, but yeah, CoinDaddy, if you don't know, is kind of replicating GoDaddy on CounterParty. It's brilliant. It's really smart. And it helps you register these assets, maintain these assets, sell these assets, list these assets for sale. Right. Um, totally, totally. I, I, I think that's really cool. Um, one of the things that I've I've already actually sold, not I didn't sell the asset. Um, 
because I'm, I'm not really sure about the state, the legality of like what we're doing, to be honest, at this point, I think the SEC might make a ruling on this in the future. Um, but basically somebody contacted me through my, through my lead generation system I set up and they said like, Hey, I'm interested in such and such names. They gave me a list of like 30. And I was like, look, dude, like it's way early. I'm not trying to like wholesale you 30 of these names. Is there one of these names that you're really interested in? And he said it was aura and oras, which is like hours or time in Spanish. Oh, okay. Right. And so, uh, and he showed me the project and I just gave it to him for free. Cause I, cause, and for, for me, for the value of these names increases if people start using these names. Okay. So it's so early that if I can just give a project a free name and they raise the level of counterparties awareness, that's good in the long term. Yeah. It's like, um, as early as I was registering these names, uh, I was out teaching people and showing them how to do it and what the possibilities were. And, you know, rather than keeping all of that information to myself, I felt the same way as you do. I, the, the more people that see the opportunity uh, or what can be done with these, the wheels start turning, the projects uh, start happening. You know, they have skin in the game. You know, they have mm-hmm. something else to gain. It's, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you see as far as the use cases. I mean, there's some, you know, very obvious low-hanging fruit, you know, which always gets you know, done first, you know, even on the web, uh, you know, everything was, everything that was very obvious was done immediately by everyone. Um, but man, just when you think that there are no more ideas, they just continue to innovate. You know, there's like all kinds of stuff that you just never would have expected, you know, even 10 years ago, five years ago. Yeah, I think it gets back to the Bitcoin Uncensored just was talking about this, but it's like all of a sudden everyone's like, "Oh, we just make currency now. Like we just we just can just do that now." <laughs> like that it, it we we've entered into a very strange um where it's like a a new a new space has opened up and we're still exploring it and people are finding really interesting use cases. That's right. Uh, I'm actually really excited even though some people uh like were making they were making fun of it on Bitcoin Uncensored, but basically Delaware just announced with Symbiont that they're doing some sort of um they're trying to tokenize uh company shares on blockchains. And that's one of the use cases that I've like sort of uh put my money behind on counterparty. So like I registered like a LLC, 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 LLC. I just got like all these short memorable asset names that are like E Corp, D Corp, B LTD, A share, B share, D share, all these different like company related names. Because for me, counterparty, because it is so coupled with Bitcoin and the minimum transaction fee might go up. It could go like it could be in the future that a Bitcoin transaction costs you a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. We don't know yet. Okay, so I'm skeptical of the use cases where it's purely like a currency. So like I'm well, I'm I'm skeptical of like high volume, high transaction volumes, because the thing you're trading will have to have a lot of value to justify the Bitcoin fee. Right. Exactly. So that's why I'm interested in these use cases where the token. It being a uh, being associated with your Bitcoin address represents ownership in something, and I like the use case of like dividends. So like um, 
if you hold this token, you're you're guaranteed X portion of the dividends, and they they distribute Bitcoin to your address proportionally because of that holding. I like stuff like that. Right. Well, and and some of the uh, some of the uh, obvious, you know, some of the low hanging fruit is interesting to talk about as well because there are a lot of businesses that are doing loyalty pro, uh, programs right now for their, you know, internally just for their business. So that kind of makes sense. You know, you, you have uh, sky miles, for example, and then you have, you, you, you do have people that will transfer their sky miles from one person to another. Uh, but then they have to get on, get on the phone and, and deal with an operator and, you know, try to, you have to go through that whole process. It's not like you can just go ahead and take some of your, you know, 100,000 of your Sky Miles points and transfer it to another individual or or even say, hey, look, I'm, you know, these are available. I mean, I guess people can go out and advertise things like that, but it, there's, a, it, there's a, a, a lot of friction when it comes to actually executing that, you know. So, so here, here's, here's the thing. Here's how I see it. Um, maybe this isn't the right phrase, but basically I see like the destiny of counterparty and Bitcoin as being like coterminous. So if Bitcoin gets used more, counterparty becomes much more attractive. So, for example, the use case you just mentioned of rewards programs, mm-hmm. that, that, you, that would be much easier if they were paying with Bitcoin or receiving Bitcoin. Because in a Bitcoin transaction where I send you... Bitcoin, uh, I could also in that same message just encode counterparty co- as going with that co- that um, with that payment um, to you and just piggyback on that payment. Um, so rather than doing like something separate with Bitcoin and like in USD, but like as people are using Bitcoin more as payment and it becomes more normal for people to have Bitcoin, I could see counter- counterparty being more useful for these reward programs. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, because it, it won't be so alien to them. Mm-hmm. But like you can li- you can literally on top of any Bitcoin transaction add counterparty if you wanted. It doesn't have to be a separate transaction. Well, you can and you can send counterparty to any Bitcoin address. So right. w- yeah. regardless of uh, as re- well, it's not going to be recognized today. You know, unless it's a special wallet. You know, that's able to be you know counterparty aware. But that's a minor change. You know, uh, in the grand Absolutely. scheme of things with the wallet software. You know, they, they, they could always add in, uh, you know, that kind of uh, support. It would be very easy to write a program that, like, say, I re- say I'm receiving Bitcoin payments. When I receive a Bitcoin payment, automatically send that Bitcoin address back a counterparty reward. Um, it would be very easy to do that programmatically. So I think, I, again, I, that's why I think it's so related to Bitcoin itself succeeding and not being able to offer these features. I see it as a new feature on top of Bitcoin. And that's why it is it is possible that it gets rolled into Bitcoin core and counterparty is that's a that is a risk for people that are investing in counterparty, to be honest. Um, I know that like Blockstream is like introducing sidechains and one of the features of sidechains is basically counterparty like tokens. The other thing, um, so like, remember I was, I was just saying that one of the use cases I see is in dividends. So if your, if your business is receiving Bitcoin as payment, then it becomes much more attractive to use counterparty as how we operate our business and uh, split up our money. 
because if we're already receiving what basically what you can do is you could create a pay to script hash you know like a, a bitcoin address that starts with the, the number three mm-hmm. that would be where we would receive money for our business and then that script what it would do is it would then instantly distribute that dividend across the owners of the of the the asset or the business or whatever it is those those use cases to me become very interesting and by, because counterparty, uh, because there is basically the, the DEX and just that we can do peer-to-peer transfers, I could also see that creating like a lot of like secondary market liquidity. But that comes down to, the, again, the SEC. Like, what are they going to say about stuff like this? Well, that's a, that's a whole nother animal. Um, the, the one thing where this does intersect with the domains that you were talking about earlier was the early part of the market when it when it was when it was uh an infant it was really very theoretical and i i think we mentioned in the in the last part of the show that people were talking with one another and appraising each other's names even though there was no buyers you know at the time so mm-hmm. i i see it, you know again it, we have no idea what's going to happen with counterparty assets but assuming it does start getting some kind of traction like you're talking about, I think right now this is very comparable to the way things were in the early domains. You're not seeing, I mean, there are some of those that are being sold. I'm sure that CoinDaddy has done, you know, some transactions, but it's almost like the, you can imagine how much did a two character or three character domain.com go for in the, mid nineties compared to what they're going for today. And I think it's too early to, I I think it's too early for, for selling some of these, you know, asset names Mm -hmm. at a price that somebody would expect to, to pay for it. You know, I think they're worth good ones are, are going to be worth something. It's it's definitely dependent on the growth of Bitcoin and the adoption of Bitcoin. And I agree the the, resp- the the response I would give to people right now if they tried to buy my assets is just like, look, it's very early. It, I would I I'm interested in what your project is. If I think your project is gonna help counterparties visibility and grow the network, I would be happy to like give you a great deal on this name. But if you're just trying to buy it to take my place as a holder you can go pound sand essentially <laughs> and what what the use cases i'm talking about right now are come kind of come around to like i doing ipos essentially and like having a public company and the price of doing such a thing right now is you got to have like a million bucks at least just to go public so if bitcoin becomes more accepted and the legal framework is there I could see these being worth. I think. I think whatever Bitcoin displaces or disintermediates will be a fraction of the cost of whatever it, it displaces. So if we're displacing, going public, and that's a million dollars, you know, I could see maybe it's like now these assets are worth ten thousand dollars because that's valuable and it's like more cost effective or something like that. Maybe this is like a point off to the, like a side point, but like I think everything that people say Bitcoin will disintermediate, I'm always my basic premise is like it has to be much cheaper than the existing thing 
And a lot of times people get into these altcoin and projects and they're like, we're going to the moon. And it's like, because we're just disintermediating stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you have to be way cheaper than the thing you're disintermediating. So like, I don't know. <laughs> well, see, I, I, it's interesting that you're talking about uh, an idea that Bitcoin Core could or would eventually incorporate some of the characteristics that a counterparty has. I, I just don't, I'm not sure if I see that happening, you know, any more than, you know, we, we've seen, okay, even if we go back to the kind of earlier days of the, the web where the, the, the killer platform was LAMP. I love LAMP, <laughs> right? So you, you've got that stack. And what's interesting about that particular stack is that you didn't see any one of the elements, right? You, you know, you didn't see Linux, you didn't see Apache, MySQL, or uh, what, uh, or PHP. Try to incorporate oh, all of the other features into itself, you know, and just become, you know, you could imagine. Well, yeah, oh. Linux will take on, and and they'll just have a, a browser built into it, and they'll and part of Linux will be a. A, a database, et cetera. You know, it could have gone that way, but I think that it, it really makes more sense for it to focus on what it does best and, and just deal with that. And I think that's more likely what we would see. I, uh, I will, but I will, I'll link you to it later, but there is a Bitcoin Core website specifically about like their side chains and stuff where they actually have like on their it's far down on their list of features but there is a like an asset feature that they're they're uh, developing. So that's the only the only core slack? No, like the bitcoincore.org they have like it's a new site but they have you can use this thing called alpha uh, elements elements alpha which is basically like their testnet sidechain and you can do some cool stuff. But one of the features that's not available yet, yet, but is kind of planned, is is assets. Um, but that, but that would require sidechains to be working and like uh, reasonable. Uh, I think right now the cool thing about Counterparty is it, it works now. It might be the first sidechain to be honest. I don't know why people aren't really impressed with Counterparty. Like they just like, oh, that thing doesn't work. It's dead. But like, it, it's working and it, and it, and it works actually like really well. And that, so I like how it is now. I re, I like the system as it exists today. And a lot of people who are involved in the Carnar party are really hot on like new things happening. And I, I just, I want to give people a reality check. If you're involved in the Carnar party, like we're, we're in year two to three, like that's no time. Two to three years is nothing. And people are acting like we're like dinosaurs or something, whether it's Bitcoin or Counterparty. Like the the very impatient, very impatient. Yeah, the feet the 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 features that exist are are strong. Yeah, and um, there's there's another thing. There are a lot of people who measure the, this usability and this technology, this whole platform, and they're measuring it based on well, they have their you know they have their XCP, which is uh, used within the counterparty system, and uh, they only look at the price and they say, well, the price, you know, it, it's not going to the moon. It's not going anywhere. You know, what's the, what's the market cap? You know, they're, they're, they're not really judging the platform on a basis that that's appropriate in my opinion. This is the, this is the evaluation I made of XCP. So XCP is the first 
asset in Counterparty's protocol. XCP is used to register assets. That's its one use today. Maybe it'll get other uses in the future, but its main use is half of an XCP will let you issue an asset. Right. And so the calculation I did, or like the thing that I played out in my head, is okay, I can hold on to this XCP, which is a registration fee essentially, in the hopes that in the future people will want to register assets. But my basic uh, assumption is that if you wait until the future, all the names worth registering will have been registered. And so you'll have people who, like in the .com, like people go and they buy the .com that's registered versus registering a new one. And that, then you have that aftermarket for the names. And so I'm betting on that aftermarket becoming a thing. And that's that's what I did. I, I used my XCP today to register assets to hold them to sell them later because I think like that's it's a land rush. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that the and, and that's another thing that I thought was a little strange. You know, they just had the election. And I think mm-hmm. the whole the whole concept of how they go about, you, you know, doing the election is kind of silly. You know, that by putting out a broadcast, you know, from how much. XCP you're holding for a particular candidate. I, I just don't really on its face. I don't, I don't really much agree with it, but let's stipulate for the moment, just for the sake of argument and say that that's the best way that we have to, to go, you know, doing voting. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I found was that is very strange is that they did not include, um, asset holders as sh- proving that they have skin in the game. So the whole idea is you, if you're going to have a voting system, you want people who have skin in the game to be the ones who are doing the voting. Okay. But mm-hmm. I, I really think that asset holders have more skin in the game than someone who just holds an amount of XCP. I agree. I made this point. And for the listeners that don't know, I I was running for the Counterparty Foundation as a community director, and uh, I did not get elected, which is perfectly fine. And congratulations to the winners. The winners are J-Dog, Matt Young, Trevor Alt-Peter, and uh, Koji. I don't don't know his last name right now, but he basically is a co-founder of Indie Square Wallet, which is a really cool... It's awesome that Indie Square Wallet exists. It's really good for Counterparty. Oh, I think it's great. And I did bring up this... I I did bring this up. So Ruben was developing the voting system, and I was like, so I don't hold... Because I don't hold any Counterparty. I I bought the assets I wanted. I bought like a thousand assets, and I developed a system for protecting those private keys. And I am just holding them and I am basically protecting them for the best use case in the future is how you might say it. Uh, You could see it like basically if someone wants to use one of the assets I have, like I'm going to evaluate whether or not it's good for counterparty or not. (laughs) And I'm going to make money between there. But like like I said, like I've already given away some assets to people. I thought like, okay, that would probably be a good use because this guy is trying to use counterparty in South America. I don't know anyone using Counterparty South America. So, like, that's good for the network. Boom, here you go for free. So, that's sort of the, and also, yeah, I, I brought that up and I was like, look, like, I have a thousand assets. Uh, I, I don't have any stake. Uh, and, the, and, you know, like, people, there's a lot of people in Counterparty who f- fairly, uh, have a fairly diminished look of my involvement because they think I'm like an asshole and an idiot and a troll. And I, I really hate seeing stuff like that, which is fine. But like, if you hold an asset, you've basically bought a very illiquid thing. 
and you can't exit it easily. And like I said, like I'm holding it for 10 to 20 years is like my honest horizon on these things. And so with XCP, you could just buy it on the exchange and vote and then exit like the next day. It's- exactly. That's what I'm, that's my, that's my whole point. If you're holding those mm-hmm. assets, very highly unlikely that they just got transferred over to your address just for mm-hmm. the purpose of you voting and, you know, and, and dumping them or, or whatever. Again, I, I'm not a big fan of the the whole vote. I didn't think, by the way, that Ruben uh, developed the voting system because I think it was in place no, before. Didn't. I thought it was in place. Well, it was in place before he uh, started working on uh, Counterparty. I'll I'll link I'll link in the in the show notes to the Counterparty Talk forum thread. But uh, basically, yeah, Ruben developed this one. Okay, so there there's a difference between this one and what was used previously. When uh, Chris, I believe so. Oh, okay. All right. Now I know. I I could I could be wrong, but I I believe so. Hmm. I didn't see any differences. You know, in in the there might be some uh, something uh, behind the scenes that. Well, maybe what's actually happening is so the system that we've used now twice is becoming it's going to become part of the protocol, so that any asset could use it, and it's built in. So you don't have to have a trusted third party like BlockScan that you have to trust to have evaluated it correctly. They're going to roll the broadcast voting into the... So like if you had a, not an XCP asset, but like you had DanCoin and at DanCoin we wanted to have a vote, uh, we could do that. But here's the, here's the, here's the, uh, the big, but my big bugaboo for that. And I brought it up and again, I w- they, they have adjusted their design after I commented, but their initial response to my comment was like, what the fuck? What, what are you saying? Like, you're just being a Debbie Downer. So their their original design for rolling in broadcast voting into the protocol would allow any single holder of that asset to initiate a vote. Any asset holder can initiate a vote. And so my big challenge to that is basically you take away the idea in finance of non-voting rights shares. Okay? There's plenty of reasons you might want to issue somebody a non-voting rights share. And I think a counterparty has a lot of use cases like that. So like if you're doing a crowd equity raise and someone only gives you like a dollar, do you really want them to be able to initiate votes? And there's a lot of weird things you can do. Like you could start a vote. Is this a scam? You could start a vote that's like sh- uh, you could do hostile because the reason you have non-voting right shares in a, in a corporation is because you don't want hostile takeovers. And if you allow anyone to issue a vote just because they have a very small stake in your thing, they can do hostile votes that are like, should should the CEO step down? Yeah, I, I saw some discussion about that that made me think that they were not going to go down that path to. Well, they adjusted it after I brought that up. The, 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 the change that they're going to make is you have to be the asset owner to initiate the vote. And I think that's reasonable. Yeah. But for but but. For counterparty itself, they're going to have it be anyone can initiate a vote if they hold counterparty. Because nobody owns the counterparty asset. So if you're going to make it so you have to be the asset owner, it basically makes it not possible to use it for counterparty if you don't let everyone make a counterparty thing. And this this then they're going to have a whitelist and a like in a blacklist for the votes on counterparty. I don't and like that. And so they're 
I don't like it either. They're introducing all sorts of very strange things. And, uh, you know, I just think for me, the way when I evaluate a new feature, I want what I I come at it and I think, like, how can I abuse this? And I think a lot of other people come at it and they think, like, how is it useful? How can I use it? Right. And, right. And that's not that's that's one part of it. But you should really think, like, how is this like abusable? Well, you know, you've you've already brought value to the community. I don't know where the big pushback. I mean, you like to have fun. I like to have fun. Sure. So I, yeah. I, I think some of the biggest criticisms that could be made about uh, people like you or people like me or, you know, uh, obviously Chris and Josh like to have a lot of fun. And they got tons of criticisms in, in many of the back channels uh, over the last couple of years. And because, well, either they were having fun or they were asking tough questions or they were doing kind of like what you did and, and, and you were just pointing out how can something be abused. And, and it's sort of um, th those ideas need to be tested and th there, there needs to be enough debate that goes on. Uh, you know, sometimes it's very, very difficult for some of these things to be conveyed by text all the time. I mean, Slack is fine. All of these different, uh, you know, uh, channels are, are great. But if, if the only discussion that goes on is purely by text, I think a lot of things get misinterpreted. I think a lot of things, you know, it, there's a whole different um, way that things are perceived and received or pushed back on. And, you know, the, the, that type of thing that you were discussing is proof that, you know, even even if they would want to uh, give you a hard time because, you know, you're maybe chucking and jiving a little bit, it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that your suggestions or your, you know, feedback is invalid. I mean, I just feel like it, there there are people that would like me to exit counterparty and, and uh, you know, if I'm not welcome here, like, that's fine. I'll just keep private keys safe and like, you know, see you like in 10 years, like if that's how it's going to go, which is fine. Like, I don't know. Cause like, so there, I was participating as when, I, while I was campaigning, I made some irreverent videos. Cause like, I, I, th I think this, you know, I think the vote is weird. I think it's, I think it's weird. I don't know if we need this whole thing, you know? So it's like a criticism on like, whatever. Uh, and for the first question I got in the Reddit AMA was Dan Anderson are you a troll? And that was like from Devin, who was a counterpart, who was a, he himself last year was a counterparty community director. Uh, although most people don't know that because uh, Chris became kind of like the sole community director. But I just felt like, I just felt like that was like kind of a, a weird question. What do I, what do I mean? Devin, Devin Weller was a community director. I'm trying to remember. You had JP, you had Chris, you had uh, Robert. No, JP, J, it was it was Robert, it was Chris, and it was Devin, and I think JP ran but lost. But those were the three, and then it became just Chris. I'm I'm almost positive JP was a was a director. No, he ran, but it was it was it was Robert, Chris, and Devin. Interesting. Okay, I'll have to double check on that. I thought it was the I'm other way sure. around, but it 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 really doesn't matter because no, you know there was no. I I didn't really see much profile. You know, I, I did see Robert 
tried to make a uh, he tried to make a lot of effort, you know. It's it's a shame what happened with Robert because it, in, but that's the thing with these with, with every I, everyone that participates publicly in these in these communities they put a lot at risk in terms of like their own like emotional and sta- like mental stability like it's actually very weird participating in this stuff and like he 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 got spun out and that happens to people and I think it's a shame. Uh, and I'd love to see Robert come back and participate again because I thought he was a really good community member for you know for what I saw. Uh, but I, I for, for me the outcome of this election, I'm really happy that Adam B. Levine did not win. That was like a big part of my running was to give an alternative to Adam B. Levine. I'm very happy he didn't get elected um, because I I do not think he he would be a good community director, and uh, I think he would have made some he would have abused his position. I'm very, very happy to see J-Dog get elected to be a community director. That's a no-brainer, yeah. It's a no-brainer, but, like, he he has... Matt's a good guy, also. I think Matt is a great community member. Uh, Trevor, I don't know a lot about, but, like, congratulations to him as well. But for for me, like, J-Dog has imparted a lot of time, a lot of resources, and he he's... It's someone like him needs to get recognized in some way, and if it's a, as a community director, that's great. Um, but yeah, he just he's he works so hard on Counterparty that it, it's amazing that that he that we have that we have him. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot in the game. You know, um, I I really I'm a big fan of what he's been developing. He's you know he's he's got his head down, and he you know this guy works like a madman he just he writes Mm -hmm. code writes code writes code every once in a while you know he stays abreast of what's going on he picks his head up he might you know add a couple of statements here and there but for the most part he stays very focused you know so so we i think i think it's good that we actually talked about counterparty uh in in relation to domains i think we always kind of plan to do that anyways in when we were talking about this discussion but i feel like we we really uh covered it pretty well there do you want to maybe pop back to a like a domain train of thought if we can like i feel like that was a that was a good aside though okay that's good um if you give me a second uh you want a bottle of water oh <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, I'll i'll take a break i'll get i'll get some water too in the middle of the night i go walking in my sleep through the desert of the truth to the river so deep we all end in the ocean we all start in the streets We're all carried along By the river of dreams In the middle of the
Hey, uh, where should we uh, where should we go next into the domain talk? What do you think? I, I, so, okay, as far as the domains, uh, and, and again, I do, I, I, I do think a lot about the counterparty assets in a very similar way, and but I, I never really thought of them along the lines of, uh, you know, using them to replace domains. You know, I know we had a discussion in one of the channels, you know, maybe the chit chat, you know, and, uh, you know, because there are people who uh, were, you know, looking to, uh, to do some of the name coin type, you know, DNS and all that sort of thing. So that was not my thing. But um, I, I guess one of the things we could talk about, if we're going to talk about domains, we could talk about the generic TLDs. Um, and again, I, there are many people, I mean, you have a lot that have been selling. You have a lot of, uh, you know, some, some have gone for decent prices. I think it's, you know, yet to be seen whether these, uh, GTLDs, these new, uh, domain extensions, whether they're really going to get serious traction. I mean, the jury is still kind of out. You know, there's been a little fear factor uh, that some people have had, you know, have had. Uh, but, you know, dot com is still all that is really being asked for. If, 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 if a company is going to be putting big money, if a company is going to go public, they're really not looking to go public on a non dot com name. Yeah, I think. I think uh, in terms of in, I think in terms of like an investment opportunity, like the the new GTLDs are very 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 risky and very very uncertain, but they're totally usable today. Uh, I think some of the usability is reduced in that like if I dropped a link to sort of like a, a new GTLD in a Twitter or a Skype or anywhere else, like some programs don't recognize those TLDs yet as links and they'll it, you won't get a link, you'll just get plain text. Have you ever done that with a new GTLD? You'll be like, hey, check out like something 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 dot ninja. And if that was a dot com, the program would link it automatically. But because it's dot ninja, they don't know it's a domain and they don't and so you get you lose network effect. Sure, and that that's also very similar to uh, many years ago. The only uh, certificate authorities, you know, with your SSL certificates to allow HTTPS um, for the you know for the audience that might not completely you know follow every aspect of of that. Um, there were only a, a handful of cer certificate authorities back. You know, in the early times, you had, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever, VeriSign, and then you had Thought Certificates, and they were just charging ridiculous prices for, you know, <laughs> just for, you know, giving you a cert. And then if you started to look at some of the alternatives, uh, yeah, you can get a cheaper certificate, but the, the downside was it wasn't necessarily going to be recognized in all of the browsers. Right. You know, that certificate wasn't built in. So you're talking about something really similar. You know, software has to know that when you when you see a dot com, it knows automatically to, you know, treat it like a, uh, a URL, you know, and, and, and launch it properly. But there's so many thousands of these generic TLDs. It's probably difficult for certain software 
de- developers to go ahead and try to keep keep up with all that. I, I one of my big criticisms for things like this. So whether it's a, a new GTLD, whether it's Open Bazaar, or whether it's uh, Block Stack, or any of these new things, is that because the way they sell it is like, oh, you can just like, like look, it's it's here, uh, but like. So, like, a, for a new GTLD, if I wanted to a, a use one, okay, if I, if I tell you www.com, you know what to do with it. But if I tell you, like, oh, like, something, 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 dot, like, elephant, you, uh, I basically have to, I'm incurring a cost of, like, in terms of, like, I have to, like, subsidize the marketing campaign of that new GTLD. And that's actually what happened with .com. Like, all the companies that are built on .com, like, helped the marketing of .com and that's and that's why it's such a big thing is cuz it's in all their all their commercials, all their radio ads and there's a lot of money in terms of marketing there that you can like piggyback on. Um, one of the good things of something like travel.com. Say you have travel.com. You if you're going to do a big ad campaign and you're going to you're going to have to pay you're going to need fewer impressions per person for them to remember travel.com. Versus if you were like travel.biz or travel or travel here dot Zanzibar, whatever it is, like you're going to actually need more impressions uh, in your ad campaign to actually have that sink in. That's one of the, the criticisms I have of it. Right, right. But that gets down to network effect again. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as, um, okay, so as far as uh, whether we go back onto the d- domain discussion, um, You've been around it for a pretty long time. I've been around it for a long time as well, and um, I, I think it's it's pretty it's it's pretty mature now, or it's pretty well established by most businesses. Uh, I think they very often they like to come in and and sort of play naive to to an extent because that's their negotiating tactic, you know, in in terms. But in reality, if they are a serious business and they, you know, have a budget behind them, they were looking and they're looking to have something become a big success. I, I, I don't think that there's really too many choices that they have uh, that makes the most sense other than a dot com. You see it all the time that a startup starts on a on a dot I.O. or a dot whatever. And as soon as they have a round of funding, they buy the dot com. That's right. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. And who and who do you see using the .IOs and who do you see as the visitors to the .IOs? It's a niche. It's a very smallish kind of a niche set of geeks. Yeah, .com, .com is is global and I think it is it is much I think mature might be a really good way to think about it. It's it's a, it's like a technology that is uh has matured and one of the the weird things about this crypto space uh, is when something becomes like mature, like uh, like I would argue that maybe Bitcoin is starting to ha- be, like become more mature in terms of like you can see there's different there's like different stratas of people specializing in different ways in Bitcoin, and for me that's an indication of a maturing industry. And domain names have that that themselves. There's different ways to participate in the domain name industry. So when you have that like stratification and specialization, it's a good indicator of maturity. But in this crypto space. If you have a mat- maturing or a mature technology, in their heads, they're like, that's dead. 
it's over. <laughs> it's like, no, it's actually arrived is how you would should think about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's whatever. Really, yeah. So I, I talked to the donuts guy. at. So I went to a conference. I, I've only went to one one domain name conference and it was called traffic. And I'm sure you went to traffic before. But I, I met the donuts guys. Donuts are people that uh, they, they run a lot of these new GTLDs. And I talked to them and they were like, so what do you think about like what we're doing? And I told him, I was like, guys, you, you have like dot pizza. Like who, who's going to use dot pizza, pizza stores, pizza shops. And they're like, yeah, of course. But if you're a business owner and you run a pizza store, you're going to want a dot com because you're a serious business. Like just because you're a pizza shop doesn't mean you're not a serious business owner, right? Like you're going to want like bostonpizza.com. You're not going to want boston.pizza. That's just my, that's my feeling. And they were like, you don't get what we're doing. That's what you get all the time from people, like whether it's an altcoin or Ethereum or new GTLDs. That it just you don't get it, and it's like, all right, yeah, I, <laughs> I, well, you know, it makes I keep my mind keeps getting cast back to, you know, the whole uh, space with all these other alternative projects that are, you know, it, it, it there's a similarity even there, you know, so. Yeah. You know who was, know who I'm really impressed with and I would love to get the story from is like dot TV. So people don't that don't know, before all these GTLDs came out or these new TLDs like dot pizza, whatever, there were other examples before this whole explosion of new names happened, there were examples of other ones. So like dot biz, for example, is an example of a test bed for this kind of technology dot moby was an example of a test bed for this technology but even before those there were people who were like really smart people so basically every country is allowed to have its own cctld it's a two-letter country code tld so that's why you have dot uk dot au dot us um etc and dot cc so you have these you got these really clever dudes who went to the like two .tv is Tuvalu, which is a very small island somewhere. Who cares? And these guys, they went, they got, sounds like what they did is they got on a plane. They got a meeting with the government and they were like, look, you're, here's how we're going to make you money. <laughs> no, we want to put all of your land titles on the blockchain. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, they did something different. Okay, right, right. They did something, like, but I think this is I I want to I want to talk to the, I think this is so clever. They went to Tuvalu. They were like, "Look, you can get dot TV, and like that's gonna mean Tuvalu, but to everyone else, it's gonna mean television." And where and so what they ended up doing with that money in Tuvalu is everyone in that on that island has free internet as a result of this like uh, partnership. That was the deal that got got that they that's got part of the deal. But like all the citizens of Tuvalu have free internet as a result of this deal, uh, and for everyone else, like it's dot TV, like it's television, uh, and but the, it's not the only example of that. They did it in multiple different countries, and I think dot FM, yeah, dot FM. I think that means that's like the Marshall Islands or something like that. Same thing. I think I think there's I don't I don't know the whole details. Maybe you do, but it seems like just like smart guys got on planes and just like made deals. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we in fact I'm I'm sure I probably know some of those guys. I feel like there's gotta be there's gotta be a great story there, you know? It's just like uh I'm sure there is. I just um you know, I don't know of any uh, of those stories firsthand, but uh, I'm 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 almost willing to guarantee that I've had, you know, lengthy discussions 
maybe on other topics, you know, with the people that mm-hmm. were responsible. <laughs> well, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can like bump, bump, bump around and get the real story there for me. Uh, but hey, hey, are, are, is is this maybe this is not to be previewed, but like, are you going to be going to a domain name conference soon and talking about this stuff? Is that happening? It's in the works. It's possible. Do Do you think there are like I I know that we're domainers and counterparty. Do you think there's um like it's possible to start like building a bridge into that industry and like seeing like the interplay there because there is a lot of developers in in domain names like there's a lot of investors there there's a lot of uh techie people there so i i've already been doing a little bit of that so i i've i've had a lot of discussions with with some key people that are involved in the domain space and i've been talking to them about this for i want to say maybe the last couple of years uh, you know, now you've got to take baby steps and then the more they hear about it, you know, you can't do a data dump of all of this information all at one time. So they start picking it up slowly. You, you know, you have different conversations with different people. They might reiterate it to their colleagues and, and it, it takes, I think it takes time. So um, I think what happens is if you, dump it all at one time and say it's here then they're going to say well where show me the show me the use cases show me well who's who's done all right this sounds great how do i get started show me somebody else that's doing it you know and it's really early times i think for all of this uh counterparty stuff i i think there's a huge crossover or there will be in the domain space in the domain you know and in fact i could see how it would be very useful for a lot of those domains or websites for them to be able to utilize something like counterparty. That's why I was getting into some of the low hanging fruit discussions, you know, uh, whether it's coupons or discounts or redeemables or, you know, I mean, I'm not coming up with anything that's rocket science in, in these examples. Well, that's one of the reasons I made xcpfolio.com is because to me that that is demonstrating like how it could be like like a it's it may, if a domainer looked at my xcpfolio.com they'd be like oh this is like a domain portfolio <laughs> like it would make a total sense to them <laughs> and I should I should also bring up the the when I first started registering counterparty assets I was registering them with a initial issuance but I think this if you're gonna if I think, in my opinion, if you're going to register assets for holding, here's what you do. You issue it with zero issuance and unlocked so that it's you're basically it's basically you're you're holding the name. But like if you ever sold it, you can now transfer the name to that person and then they can issue whatever they want afterwards. And so you kind of like are. Yeah, but be, because you haven't issued any tokens. You're not um, causing any problems around like uh, that could that could make it less valuable to a buyer. Same way with domains. If you if you develop a website on a domain, you might actually hurt the value of that domain. Exactly right. Um, so there are domains that w- once you develop the name, then the question becomes, well, how is it doing? But you you may not have put in all of the effort that that development deserved, right? Let's say you didn't do all of the necessary marketing or, you know, you didn't build it out to 
the, the specs that it really should have for it to matter. And the fact that it's kind of half-baked, I think that can diminish the value because now you've, oh, so you did this already. You know, I was thinking about doing that, but it's, it's been in that yep. state for two or three years now, five years now. Why has it not taken off? Yep. It's like putting if you put like a, a really hacky affiliate store on flowers.com. Flowers.com has to be like a million dollar plus name and you put like a ten dollar <laughs> website on it. <laughs> you you could I think I think you could hurt the value, you know. So uh but that's just that's just my recommendation. If someone's going to hear this and like maybe they register an asset it for holding because they 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 want to see if like see if this is works out for them. Um, you know, I would register it with a zero issuance and unlocked, and that would be just what I would do. Yeah, well, and, and the thing of it is, if you if you give it an issuance uh, of, of some large amount, you, you, unlikely that you're gonna, you'll, you'll be able to go backwards. Yeah, the, 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 the way to solve that in the future is like, Basically, if there's like 10 million tokens and you didn't want 10 million tokens, you could technically burn the ones you didn't want. But then that becomes an issue to your asset and that like you have to explain to all holders like what that even means. <laughs> and it's it, it's so just be careful if, if that's your if you're you're looking at this for like a, that kind of strategy we're talking about, like just be smart about the way you, you do stuff. Uh and also for for me, like not knowing what the SEC's ruling is on this stuff, and not being anonymous in terms of like what I hold, I'm very public about what I hold. Uh, I think it's also a good idea not to have tokens issued if like we're gonna we're still not really sure what the government's gonna say about this stuff. Um, I, I I really feel like that's the elephant in the room for counterparties, but beyond Bitcoin becoming adopted more, I think it remains the. That like what the SEC says will matter. I, I think there are uh, there are many things that people would like to go and do and experiment with, and start putting these things into into motion. And I think uh, there is a little bit of uh, wait and see, you know, wait and see what the what you know the regulations uh, shake out to be. And then on the other hand, you have folks that are developing and you know trading these assets and tokens and they're just self-declaring that no this is not you know none of those rules will apply to me and i have a feeling that they're going to uh you know find out potentially otherwise i was talking about this with somebody uh at recently at the consensus event and his point was basically like the sec reacts to complaints so if people are holding Ethereum right now and they're happy with like the price going up, that's cool. But like say Ethereum has like a bug or like the price collapses or like just they start getting scammed. Like the more people start complaining to these consumer protection agencies, essentially, then they had then they start responding more. I think uh, Ethereum, for example, one of the smartest things they've been doing, even though, you know, I don't think it's. The, the sort of innovation that that's truly happening here. But like one of the smartest things they've been doing is getting in bed with big corporations that have sort of like, you know, like if they're in, they're in bed with Microsoft right now, like it's going to make the SEC think a little bit harder about like maybe coming down on Ethereum as a result, in my opinion. Look at like, Ripple. 
you know, uh, for as an example, you know, they got spanked a little bit, and uh, they were, you know, sort of, you know, in bed with some of the banking institutions, and it it didn't in what, really. In what way were they spanked? Uh, I think they were issued a. I, I don't want to call it a huge fine. I I, I think the fine was under a million dollars. I think it might. I don't know why seven hundred and some odd thousand sticks in my head. And interesting. Okay. They ran a foul. Look at that. And 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 that also showed that they were really a central. You know the how centralized they were. You know because they were always in a position to you know, maybe roll things back, et, et cetera. You know, they, everybody wanted to get on, jump on the decentralized bandwagon, you know, which is what Bitcoin is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, there are people that try to make arguments to the contrary because, you know, they they feel that because so much of the mining is, you know, coming out of uh, China or, you know, it's it's kind of concentrated, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they try to make the arguments, you know, uh, saying it's less decentralized as it is. But the, the fact still remains uh, that it is decentralized. But um, so some of these some of these uh, proof of stake style, you know, altcoins, um, they're, you know, run, you know, they, they can run into a lot of you know, a lot of problems like Ripple did. So mm-hmm. I think what happened, uh, I'm not sure, I don't remember the details, uh, but I think they, they were doing some kind of a, a sale of their, their Ripple tokens uh, in, in mass with certain parties and certain individuals, and they, they, really, they ran into a problem with that. So we were talking about some use cases. I'm going to get back to Counterparty. I like talking about Counterparty. Like, this has been the domain show, but also the Counterparty show. Um, you know, whatever. Uh, he, but here's like, I, so I've been doing some research on the darknet markets, which I will be uh, re- revealing slowly in the future. I have, I've been doing a lot of research there, okay? And I, th- I think there's actually a use case in Counterparty for people that are operating on these darknet markets. Here, here's an example, okay? Imagine you have a joint partnership with somebody in a darknet market. You're selling retail products in a darknet market, and you are receiving your money in Bitcoin. And so basically, let's say you have a partnership and you want to look like they want to run like a business. So what you would do is you would basically write up a little contract between you and your friend and you would issue a numbered counterparty asset and you would give him half the tokens and you half the tokens. And then anytime you wanted to withdraw funds from your Darknet market account, you would shoot it to a pay to script hash address, which simply split it between the two addresses that hold those tokens. I think that would be a very above board way for for a Darknet market. Like, because you're probably not going to know the people you're doing a joint venture with. You're going to be anonymous. So uh, I think that would be an interesting way to, to operate a joint venture um, if you are, are receiving Bitcoin. And I think that's one of the use cases you might see. And I know that's not very pretty to, to talk about, but, you know, You've I think... you stepped out of my uh, core competency. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, like, I'm just thinking, like, imagine... And also, here's just not even that use case, but, like, imagine you're in a country where forming a company legally through the legal framework involves a lot of bribes and, like, maybe undue scrutiny. You could t- simply create a counterparty asset send it in on your phone like that's have you have an indie square wallet and like i have my stake and on your phone you have your stake and again like the when if we receive bitcoin in our business 
we or like maybe we we receive paper money, but then we buy Bitcoin and distribute it that way, whatever. But I I think it comes down to like you have to have a business that receives revenue paid in Bitcoin. Um, but if you have that, assuming you have that, then you get into a lot of different interesting um, use cases of counterparty beyond that. But like I think it's gonna be these weird edge cases that that test bet at first, and I think it's all technologies are like that. You know, and the, one of the reasons I am looking at the darknet market so closely right now is because they're using this technology in a very interesting way. It's like really high tech shit, like really impressive high tech shit and not. And then there's all these like uh, above board clear net stuff that's happening with Bitcoin that that's kind of stupid. But they're and they're not using like all the best features. And these guys are. Where did how did we uh, how did we end up with all of the technology that we have today that's very mainstream such as hopping on skype or doing what we're doing right now just you know uh, with video etc and or and it records you can probably thank porn of course i mean so in the early in the early internet uh those those companies that were you know the pioneers in that arena uh they had a real need they 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 were developing uh, software technology that was going to scratch their own itch. You know, they they needed better video or better audio or you know something that was reliable. And everyone else uh, who m- may not have appreciated that, they all benefited later. You know, they all mm-hmm. you know, and that that's always the nature of it. Those those are really the things that will drive the technology. And I think that's what you're talking about. So. That is what I'm talking about. They're, they're, they're running ahead, taking big risks, do, do, do using really untested technology because they because it serves that very particular need they have. And but they're proving it like in weird ways. But like it's worth watching just to see like, oh, OK, here's how they're using it. I wouldn't use it that way. But like, how can that apply here? And if you look at these really cutting edge uses, like these risky uses, these uh, unproven but still used uses because they need to, you're going to you're going to be I mean, if you just pay attention to these darknet markets, you're going to be years ahead in terms of Bitcoin like ideas. You really are. That's my opinion. Right. Right. Well, that's like if you if you were if you paid attention to the porn websites like we were just talking about, you'd be you'd be like way ahead in terms of like where the video is now if you just paid attention to what they did. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, you know, I, I had customers that were in that business. I, you know, I supported them to, you know, to a limited extent, you know, providing them some, uh, you know, uh, hosting services and and what have you. But uh, the the stuff that they were doing so early on was really pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it was pretty amazing. And the investment that they were putting in was, was nuts, you know. What what are we talking about in terms of investment? I don't know what the dollar amounts that they put in, but I I know that you know how many uh, back uh, back uh, at that time. Like, but like uh, like into like brick and mortar, or to hardware, into software, into labor, or what? Uh, all of those things. Uh, a T one line, so a one point five megabit per second connection, which is nothing okay. today, right? Uh, your broadband is what is your broadband where you are? It's probably it's it, it's probably ten times that. Okay, so in 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 any case, that cost around twenty five hundred dollars per month for that one point five megabit com- connection. 
So mm-hmm. they were putting multiples, you know, the T1s on top of T1s. I mean, they were probably, you know, I, I don't know exactly, you know, where they might have had like a, a, a fractional T3 or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever they had to put in, they would put in. They'd make the investment. And they had tons of hardware on their premises. Uh, and some of these places were set up with uh, big warehouses and they had different individual camera rooms and they had people that, you know, worked for them and that was the, they were the talent and they, they, you know, they had uh, the girls that were, you know, the entertainers and all the, you know, and, and they were doing it at a time where it was very, very difficult and there was no real good way for them to collect payments and they were, they were, what, 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 like in the nineties? Yeah. I want to say this was around 96. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was about 96. So that was pretty crazy that they were, you know, it, it, I, I guess what they were doing wasn't terrible by today's standards, but, but the amount of effort and what they had to go through to make it work was pretty nuts, you know, even to, deal with their uh, pay per, I mean, I, I guess they did like a pay per minute or w- whatever their billing structure was. But th- th- then they had to deal with credit cards and chargebacks, and it was nuts. Everything they were doing is like roll your own. It was what? Roll your own. Oh, a- absolutely. Like, no off, no, no off-the-shelf solution. There, there was no off-the-shelf solutions for, for much back back then. If you wanted to do you know, provisioning or billing for, you know, someone's setting up a website, you, you know, all, all of those things had to be developed in-house. You, you had to set all, you know, you had to build all of your own tools. Uh, they, they didn't have any control panels or anything back then. So, uh, you know, that's on one side of the business, you know, talking about domains and, and the hosting, but, um, it's it, it's really a little bit for me watching this whole industry, well, m- wanting to turn into an industry. Uh, you know, it's it's so it's so weird uh, to see how it's taking you know taking shape. But in some ways, it's it to me it's deja vu all all over again. The way I get that deja vu is like I remember. So I wasn't online as early as you were, but like I remember the internet like before MySpace and Facebook and Reddit and what I would call content silos. So everything in like you would like Google stuff and you'd find a forum and it might be like brand new and you join and just like rough edges, weirdness. Like I love the internet pre content silos where there's just strange and new and like you you're just like surfing the web like 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 this like what is happening right now that's that was so exciting and now you have what i would call content silos whether it's twitter facebook reddit like you get in these loops like okay i'll go to i'll go to reddit and then okay i'll check my facebook okay and then i'll check reddit and then i'll check twitter and you repeat and you're stuck on these like content loops because all the contents in these silos years ago uh, there there was a little bit of a, a thought process around giving someone there, uh, let's say personal space who, who didn't, they did not have their own domain name. So you'd, you'd either give them a subdomain, uh, you know, dan.fubar.com or, you, you know, the other way you just do it, you know, uh, fubar.com slash Dan. 
and or the yeah, other there's like the little tilde or tilde well that that was a, that well that that was really what that was representing was that was an actual unix account on that web server and that would be your home you know your uh for that home user for that user that was the public uh html directory so mm-hmm. but it was kind of weird because you know, it was it was an interesting use. Not everybody had to go out and get their own domain and reinvent. You know, they, they could have had just their space within some existing domain. But it wasn't very well accepted back then. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of strange to see that come full circle to, to you know, today where you have your account. It's Twitter.com. I mean, it's something that you don't own. You know what I mean? Well, here's something. Uh, if you remember homestead.com, like everyone would have their individual weird sites, but like the design would be different and like there would be gifts and we just the, the design would be different on every homestead. And then homestead goes away. Even on MySpace, you could actually uh, edit the template to be like really weird and glitter graphics and all this other stuff. But now we have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, where the design is very uniform. And the content is fit into their what they demand, and they shape content and they like suck content into their silo. And it's and it's I really hate that that's how things have gone. Uh, it's sort of like uh, pirate radio and like uh, CB radio getting like just like being really exciting, and then all of a sudden we just have like regular radio stations uh, or you know anything like that. Uh, it's it might just be the way that communication technology is like progress in general but for me when we talk about like bitcoin weird like that's why i'm here is because there's like there's people who uh are sharing ideas and they're trying new things and they're failing and it's like it's like the wild wild west of the internet that i miss at post content silo i just lowered my headset volume i think that's what you were hearing i think it was leaking into the microphone so uh yeah um the um, the other thing that you seem to see happening, and and again, it, this doesn't necessarily fit squarely into the domain space, but you see certain businesses setting up a a Facebook page for their business, and they really don't have their own domain name fleshed out properly. You know, they don't have that built out, and they're just relying on. Well, that was easy. You know, so I think that's another example. My 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 brother, for example, I know that he he started a little product up and he purely sells it on Instagram. And then I he he is a general contractor, and I made them a website, but all their business comes from their Facebook page. That's crazy. It's it's very strange. Um. But Dante, I wanna uh, I wanna wind down this talk because uh, we've just did like an hour and a half, and then we have like whatever else before this. Like it's gonna be a lot of audio editing and stuff. That uh, I'd like to stop recording now, if you don't mind. How's it, how's that square with you? Sounds good. All right. So anyway, uh, we don't have any uh, closing, so I'll just say, see ya. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs>